From Susan G. Komen, this is Real Pink, a podcast exploring real stories, struggles, and triumphs related to breast cancer. We're taking the conversation from the doctor's office to your living room. Many of us grew up with the philosophy that the relationship between a patient and healthcare provider was very straightforward. The patient presented symptoms, the doctor made a diagnosis and recommended treatment, and the patient underwent that treatment. Medicine is changing and patients are beginning to take a more active role in their healthcare, understanding risks and benefits and choosing treatments that fit best for them as individuals. This can also mean demanding more tests when you know something just isn't quite right. It is you that knows your body best. As a self-advocate, it's important to understand your disease, be involved in medical care decisions, ask questions, and reach out for support. Today's guest was diagnosed with breast cancer at an early age and is here to share the importance that standing up and being heard has played in her breast cancer journey. Sabrina, welcome to the show. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. Well, I'm, I'm excited to talk to you. You know, we talk on the show a lot about being your own advocate. So I'm, I'm really happy that we're sort of diving into this with you. But, you know, let's start at the beginning. Tell us about your initial breast cancer diagnosis and tell us about how your story even started before that when you had a newborn. Yeah, yeah. Um, so at uh, 28 years old, I had a, a newborn, a six-month-old child, um, and I was breastfeeding him and uh, found a lump in my breast. And I went to the doctor and the doctor said, you know, you need a mammogram. Um, and I just remember at that time, the only people I knew that had breast cancer were older women. Um, for example, my, my Aunt Millie and my uh, maternal grandmother had both um, had breast cancer. And I was just mystified. And, and so I went and I had a mammogram and an ultrasound and they said it was a clogged milk duct. And I thought, oh, good. Um, let me go back to my baby and, you know, um, just forget about this. And, and honestly, if I would have known what I know now, I would have insisted on a biopsy, but I did not know that at the time. So flash forward, I'm 37 years old. Um, I find blood coming out of my nipple. Um, so I kind of knew, well, gee, I need to call the doctor. <laughs> um, and uh, so I go to the doctor and she said that I had a uh, lump the size a, a uh, golf ball in my breast and I needed to get a mammogram and I went and got a mammogram right away, walk-in mammogram and they called and they said, you need a diagnostic mammogram and we'll see you in two weeks. And I went crazy. I'm like, no, you're not seeing me in two weeks. And I had a mammogram the next day. Um, <laughs> and uh, long story short, that led to a biopsy. I was uh, diagnosed with uh, stage 2B uh, breast cancer, had a, um, a single mastectomy with no reconstruction, a sentinel node uh, biopsy, which came back clear. Um, that was followed by um, four rounds of AC chemo and five years of tamoxifen. Um, so yeah, that was my first experience with breast cancer. And um, yeah, I was about to celebrate my 14th um, anniversary, cancerversary. And uh, I was at the gym and I was doing um, bicep curls on a machine. And I noticed that my one upper arm was bigger than my my right upper arm, and that was the site of my breast cancer. And um, 
So, you know, I started feeling around and felt a lump. And um, that's when I ended up going to the doctor and getting my um, diagnosis of a recurrence just two weeks shy of my 14-year anniversary. Yeah, so. Wow, wow, that, that is that is quite the story. So uh, let, let's talk about that that first diagnosis for just a minute. You mentioned you opted for a single mastectomy without reconstruction. Can you talk a little bit about how that decision was received by your healthcare team? Yeah, so, um, you know, it was really interesting because it, it almost felt like it was like, what type of reconstruction are you going to get that rather than do you want reconstruction? And with me at the time, my children were five and nine, and I was a very involved mom, and I didn't want to be down and um, for too long. And with a single mastectomy, I was down for about two weeks, um, where with reconstruction, it would have been four to six weeks at least, you know, um, could be a really long process. I mean, reconstruction is not simple, a simple process. I mean, you could do a whole other, several episodes on reconstruction. Uh, long story short, my general surgeon, um, she decided that I was too young to really decide that I don't, didn't want reconstruction. So she did do my mastectomy, but she left um, what is called the mammary fold. Um, so that if I decided to get reconstruction later, I'd have a good uh, result. Um, so basically it's the bottom of your breast. So she left quite a bit of breast tissue. So I'm not, I was never flat on my left side. Um, yeah, so it was really nice um, this time to go and talk to a plastic surgeon because I decided to get my left breast removed um, have a mastectomy to basically match my left mastectomy. And um, she did not pressure me at all about reconstruction. So it was nice to see the difference. That's good. That's good. And, and so then you mentioned, um, you know, I, I just want to, I just want to make sure we're walking through this whole story. You mentioned you were working out, you noticed one arm was larger. It was, it, and it was, you thought it was related to your breast cancer. And so that was kind of your trigger. Like you knew your body and that was your trigger to know this isn't quite right. Let me go get this checked out. And that was right near the beginning of COVID as well. Right? Correct. Yes. As a matter of fact, on the day of my appointment, um, to go get the lump checked out, I got a phone call in the morning um, and I saw it was from the doctor, so I didn't answer it <laughs> and let it go to voicemail. And her voicemail was, oh, because of COVID, um, can we change your appointment to a phone appointment? And I didn't bother to call her back. I showed up because I'm like, how can you check for a lump over the phone? I mean, that doesn't make any sense to me. So, yeah. Um, <laughs> And then I go to the appointment. So this is a really big point that I want to make um, while we're here, because, you know, everybody knows their own body better than anybody else. Um, you don't have to be a medical expert. And also, I want to say, you know, doctors are human, too. Right. And so I'm getting this exam and she was like, I can't feel anything. And um, so I took her hand and I put it on, you know, where I felt the lung. And as soon as I did that, she said, you need to get an ultrasound and a biopsy. Wow, it's really great that, that you were, I mean, willing to do that. Because I, mean, I think a lot of people in that situation would be like, oh, great, sign of, sigh of relief. 
I'm good. The doctor doesn't feel anything. I'm just crazy. I'm going to walk away. And you're like, no, no, no. Let me show you. Uh, that's, that's really amazing. So, so let's, yeah. let's dive into that just a bit more. You were your own advocate several times. I mean, ignoring the doctor's call to make it a telehealth appointment, showing them where the lump is. You've been your own advocate several stops along the way. Yeah. Why is that so important? Well, I, I think it's so important because, you know, first of all, like I said, you're the only person that knows your own body. But also, you know, doctors are overwhelmed. You're not their only patient, right? So when I found my lump in my in my armpit, like nobody else really worried about that except for me, right? You know what I mean? It's easy just to, to blow that off. So if you don't stand up for yourself, nobody else is gonna stand up for you, right? Um, and I've heard too many cases because, you know, going back to when I was first diagnosed or even prior to being diagnosed, it was like, you're too young, even at 37. The doctor said to me when he was doing the um, initial biopsy where the needle biopsy on my original cancer, he said, you're so young, I'm sure this is a cyst. And as soon as this needle goes in, it'll dissipate. He actually said that to me and you can watch the, this ultrasound guided um, biopsy. And so I was watching and as soon as it did, it nothing dissipated. It took a little piece off and he got really quiet and I knew at that moment I had breast cancer. I mean, I didn't get the call for a few days, but I hope that that was the last time he said to anyone, you're too young. And I was 37, um, you know, after that I became really involved in the young um, cancer support community. And I've met so many women that have been told, you, you're too young. My friend, Nicole died at 29, two weeks shy of her 30th birthday. She was finally diagnosed at 26. She was having issues since she was 24. By the time she was diagnosed, she was, you know, she was actually early stage, but she ended up getting stage four within a year. Yeah, if you if you want to live, you gotta you gotta speak up for yourself. Yeah, that's right. That's right. And and that's that's the point that we make. A lot of times on this show, you you have to be your own advocate. So so talk to us about where you're at now. What's your current health status? How often do you have to be scanned? Uh, and do you feel like you have to be more in tune with your body than than ever before? Yeah, I do feel like I'm more in tune with my body than ever before. So you know, I went through a lot this last year. Um, I um, got my official diagnosis um, March 26, 2020, of a recurrence. And that was the same day that the state of Colorado shut down. Um, so most of everything I went through, I had to do alone. Um, nobody was able to come to any appointments with me or, you know, that kind of stuff. And uh, so I started chemo um, April 9th of last year and basically did uh, chemo um, through the end of July. And I ended up in the hospital twice, um, had two blood transfusions, um, just really really uh, tough, but grateful that these drugs were available. Um, you know, then I had surgery, um, auxiliary lymph node dissection to get rid of all of the uh, lymph nodes and the cancer that was in my armpit. Um, and then uh, followed by radiation, uh, came back in March. When I'm done with everything, I got a scan. It came back that I was stage four. Um, and the good news is that I'm stage four, no evidence of active disease. 
Um, so I feel really, really fortunate about that. My doctor and I both look at it as a um, diagnosis of a kind of like a chronic condition. I told my doctor and she agreed that, um, you know, I'm going to live another 20 years and I'm going to die from something other than breast cancer. Um, so, <laughs> and she agreed with me, although I don't think she, that she would dare disagree with me. <laughs> I love that. I love that. And I love, I love the, the attitude and the approach that you have toward that. So, so I want to, I want to, I want to look at the, the whole spectrum, you know, you, you had an, an early diagnosis. You said there was 14 years between that and your second diagnosis. What improvements have you seen throughout your journey as it relates to patient navigation and the overall acceptance of making your own decisions for your body? Yeah, absolutely. Well, I'd say the first time I was diagnosed, um, you know, I, uh, through my insurance company, the way they had it set up was that the person that navigates your care is the, um, uh, the breast, uh, the general surgeon that does your surgery. So I felt that was really odd, even, you know, then I was like, this is weird. And the way they had it set up too, was that you see the surgeon, you get surgery, then you go see an oncologist, which I also found very bizarre. Cause I was like, um, I have cancer. Why am I seeing a surgeon first? Especially since there is the option, of course, at that time, it wasn't very common. Of course, there's an option of doing chemo prior to surgery, depending on the, the case, you know, it just, uh, it depends on the cancer. There's so many things that, um, you know, because breast cancer isn't just one type of cancer, right? I mean, it, there's so many um, variants. So once again, I advocated for myself back then, and I, I got an appointment with an oncologist prior to um, getting surgery and all of that. But this time was a lot nicer because they actually have nurse navigators, um, that are assigned to every breast cancer patient. So that's the person that's doing your navigation and making sure your surgery set up, your uh, oncology appointment, all that kind of stuff, your radiology, all that kind of stuff. So that was really nice. However, I got a flash forward to being stage four. Um, there's no navigation after your initial diagnosis. So when I got my diagnosis of stage four, they're like in a panic and they're, in, which I didn't understand because I'm like, I know evidence of active disease. Obviously my endocrine therapy is working, right? That I started in October. Obviously that's doing the trick, but they're like, oh, get your blood work done. You got to start eye branch, you got to start eye branch. So I do. And then I go, wait a minute, I've got surgery coming up. Does my surgeon know I'm taking eye brands? So I email my surgeon and she's like, oh my God, no, I can't do surgery on you if you're doing chemo because uh, Ibrance is an oral chemo. She said, I don't want to do surgery on you until you're at least four weeks out from finishing chemo. So I respond back to her. I said, well, I'm going to be taking this for the rest of my life or until it stops working or I can't tolerate it anymore. So uh, yeah. Uh, so, you know, that I get my oncologist involved and she's like, oh my God, stop taking it right away. So if I wasn't paying attention, my surgery would have been canceled. And what's interesting and unfortunate <laughs> about my surgery, I'm really, really happy with the results of my surgery. Um, however, from the tissue, they found a new primary breast cancer um, in my right breast, which I was getting regular mammograms on. I had just had a, mam a clear mammogram in January of this year. It turns out it was lobular breast cancer, 
which I did not know this, but it tends to be hard to detect on both mammograms and PET scans. So it didn't show up on all the scans I've been having, like, yeah. Um, luckily it was very small. There was no spread to the lymph nodes, you know, so I did five more rounds of radiation. <laughs> on my right side, um, but we would have never discovered this if I hadn't opted to have this surgery. I always say I'm the luckiest unlucky person, right? <laughs> well, you know, it, it strikes me that you're a very tenacious person uh, and, and that you are we're willing to push when pushing is what's needed. And so so I'm, I'm just so impressed with that. So I, I just, you know, last question, what do you want to tell our listeners? What final kind of empowerment or encouragement do you want to share with them? Yeah, well, before I, I get into that, I do want to, I don't want to skip over one thing. Um, you know, the difference between 14 years in diagnosis, not only did I see a great improvement in navigation um, and care, but also the access to drugs. There are drugs that I took this last year and that I'm taking now, the Ibrands that were not available 14 years ago. The amount of innovation and access to treatment has just grown exponentially. And so I wanna say how grateful I am, not only to all of the researchers out there and you know all the research they're doing and the people that are bringing that to the patients, the doctors, the people running the clinical trials, um, and most importantly, the patients that are participating in the clinical trials. They are my heroes. Um, you know, I really, you know, we wouldn't be here without them. And um, I just feel so, so grateful for the innovation. And I just feel really positive about the future and hopeful that um, we will find a way to stop cancer from moving from the original tissue and becoming stage four, because we all know early stage cancer is not a death sentence. It's when it spreads from the, you know, to distant sites. So, and, and now that's not a death sentence either. And that's just beautiful. That is beautiful. That is beautiful. I love that. I love that. So, um, I th and thank you so much for sharing that. Um, so do you have any, any final thoughts or any final encouragements you want to share with our listeners? Yeah, you know, I would just say you have to be your own advocate. You know your body the best. Yes, I, I love and respect my daughters, uh, doctors. I think I have a wonderful team um, and I love them for their expertise, but I am the expert in my own body and you are the expert in your own body. And if there's something wrong, keep talking, keep asking questions, keep demanding tests. This, I'm sorry, I know it sounds so cheesy, but this squeak, uh, the squeaky wheel gets the oil, right? I mean, you know, that's honestly been my, my experience. As a matter of fact, I have to tell you this because it's just so timely. Um, so there's a test called um, Signatera, which I wish I would have known about in between because what it is is a CTDNA blood test that they do on your own um, cancer, right? So if I would have had this um, uh, access to this test in the interim, um, they could have found my recurrence much sooner. 
and I more than likely wouldn't have had stage four, right? Um, now I'm getting the test now that I am stage four just so that we can monitor. So what it'll do is if my cancer starts coming back, the CTDNA will show up in that. And then we can, I can talk to my doctor and go, okay, we need to change up the treatment, whatever we need to do. It makes me a more, an, once again, more empowered because I have more information. Information is knowledge, right? That's great. And that's, I mean, again, just you got to be your own advocate. You exactly. always got to continue to be exactly. your own advocate. Exactly. Uh, yeah. Well, Sabrina, this has been great. Uh, like I said, I love your energy, love your tenacity. Thank you so much for joining me on the show today. Yeah, I appreciate the opportunity. Thank you so much for what you do. Thanks for listening to Real Pink, a weekly podcast by Susan G. Komen. For more episodes, visit realpink.komen.org. And for more on breast cancer, visit komen.org. Make sure to check out at Susan G. Komen on social media. I'm your host, Adam. You can find me on Twitter at AJ Walker or on my blog, adamjwalker.com.